as I mentioned at the beginning of the service, we are turning our attention to Mark 6. Gospel of Mark, chapter 6. And we're going to be starting in verse 33. This is a passage um, that I've been carrying for a while. And I think I realized as I was preparing it for this week that if it's a passage that God is using to speak to you, it might have been better to have Tom actually preach this to me this week than it was to wrestle a word for myself and for you. So it's fresh, and it is something I've carried. So we're going to enter into this text together, acknowledging that for me as well, this is a work in progress. So as we come to God's word, let us pray for the Spirit to guide us and lead us. Please pray with me. Spirit of the living God, show us Christ. We need the words of Jesus. We need your movement in our lives and in our hearts and in our ears so that we receive your gracious word, that it can take root in our lives and transform us so that we look more and more like the Savior we love. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. So Mark 6, starting at verse 30, not 33, verse 30. The apostles gathered around Jesus, and they reported to him all they had done and taught. And then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, Jesus said to them, Come with me. Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. And so they went away by themselves, in a boat, to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them, and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he began teaching them many things. Now by this time, it was late in the day. So his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, Uh, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are are we to go and spend that much on bread and, and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. And when they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. And so they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. 
taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. And then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. And the number of just the men who had eaten was 5,000. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. These words of Jesus have been ringing in my ears for a while now, nudging me during busy times and bubbling up during quiet moments, pulling my attention again and again to this story, to this moment of Jesus with his disciples. And they are words of invitation. They are words of gentleness, words of mercy, words of kindness, words that for some time now have brought me to tears (laughs) whenever I read them. And I've been practicing so they won't right now. But for whom I've shared this with, they they will know and attest that uh, Pastor Tom's nodding his head, that that's what happens. There is a tenderness here for me. Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. These are words of longing. Both in the invitation of Jesus to his disciples and in the disciples' need for Jesus a longing to rest, to take a breath, and to be together. But I will confess that my attention has been to the first few verses of this story, to the beginning of the story, to that initial invitation of Jesus to his disciples, and I want to stop when they get in a boat and go off in the sunset together and rest. I want to end there. I want to say the story is done and complete. But the beginning of the story, the words of invitation, were never meant to stand on their own. If we stop just at verse 32, we may have a good reminder to practice self-care to take the necessary downtime, to practice Sabbath, to listen to the invitation of Jesus and go actually rest, to keep up our devotional practice, all the good things to do. And it would be a good reminder. We all need that, I think. But if we stop there, I think we miss a glimpse of the goodness of the gospel embedded in the larger story. We join Mark where the apostles, this is the only time, the first time they're referred to as apostles because they have been the sent out ones. 
Earlier, just a couple chapters earlier, Jesus had sent the 12 out in pairs to teach, to preach, to heal, to, to do the ministry of Jesus in his name. And it was their first big assignment. They were apostles, they were sent out once. And they came back from this time together full of stories, full of their experiences, and just wanting to share and report about the excitement of what they've been doing. And I can imagine them all beginning to talk at once, talking over each other, comparing notes, talking about their successes and their failures, and which town they had to shake off the dust at their feet and move on, and, and where were the amazing moments of God's provision and their time together. And Jesus is in their midst, listening to them all, paying attention. And in the midst of their overlapping conversations and their excited gestures, Jesus notices more than their words. Jesus notices their excited but tired eyes. Jesus notices the way that their belts are cinched just a little bit tighter because they haven't eaten as well when they're traveling. Jesus notices and knows that when their adrenaline and excitement die down, they will know their exhaustion and their hunger. Jesus notices their need. And he invites his weary disciples to come away, to get a bite to eat together, and to rest their weary bodies. Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. We are collectively in a time and a season of ongoing pandemic. And in the time of year, January, when we're wondering what practices we will, what, what practices will see us through the coming year. How do we start strong? What will give us the energy to keep going, especially when 2022 is starting out so similar to 2021? What habits or apps, or better yet, what new gadget or thing can we buy or download that will be the key to get us being more productive. That will help us pull our life together this year. That will help us to persist despite our tiredness. What is that thing that's gonna help us pull our life together when so much around us is falling apart? And I don't know about you, but marketing goes into overdrive and self-care is self-improvement this month. Every ad I see, every sponsored content in my social media feed is pushing a different answer. I can get stronger if I go out and get a Peloton. I can lose those unwanted pounds if I sign up for Noom. I can clear my head with a Headspace app. I can take a moment of mindfulness with my Apple Fitness instructor. I can buy that organizer or that bullet journal. 
which is overpriced, but promising me that this is the way I'll keep my life organized this year. And Christian marketing does this too. Here's the best prayer app for this year. Here's the best new teaching podcast. Here's the right devotional practice to maximize your faith. Or here's an organizer for you to buy, just like that bullet journal, but ours is sprinkled with inspirational Bible quotes. And it all boils down to one basic illusion. That this is what you need to do, or to buy, or to download, to fix your life, and to hold it together, to patch over those needs and those weaknesses, and get on with things. And Jesus can be used like that, too. Just another thing to help us in our self-improvement to become the best version of ourselves. To help us persist or to improve or to get better. Jesus as self-improvement. But the whole story here The whole story here points us in a different direction. It points us away from ourselves, away from our need to fix, and it points us towards Jesus. The disciples followed Jesus onto the boat. They set off for a quiet place or a lonely place, or a solitary place, or a remote place. It's translated different ways, but it's all saying the same thing. It's a way of saying wilderness. A way of getting away to a place that's uninhabited. A place to intentionally be alone. It's like folks who hike unknown or difficult trails, or portage to -to hard-to-reach places. You want the wilderness. You crave the solitude. Except, as we know, the needs of the people follow Jesus and his disciples. The crowd anticipates the scenic spot that Jesus has picked for his friends to rest and eat and camp for a while. And the people follow, carrying their sick and their broken, eager for healing, eager for more stories, Eager for more of Jesus' presence. Eager for more of him. And who can blame them? And it seems like the needs of the crowd crowds out the needs of the disciples in the story. It was focused on the disciples' need for rest, their need for food, their need for Jesus to be present with them. And then the invitation to rest seems pretty short-lived when confronted with the needs of others. This is a feeling that any caretaker knows. Whether you are taking care of children, you are taking care of your patients, whether you are caring for ailing parents, or you're supporting a chronically ill family member, Or you're that one friend in your group 
that everyone goes to for help, advice, and encouragement, but it rarely ever seems to happen the other way around. That feeling that others' needs always come before your own. That your need for care, for compassion, seems to get crowded out, minimized, and deprioritized. And left untended, <laughs> oh, these feelings can breed resentment and self-pity. And that can harm not just your own soul, but it can harm those around you if left unchecked and unexamined. Our needs and the needs of others become tension when we operate out of a sense of scarcity. If your need is met, it means mine's not. If your needs are prioritized, then mine is not. There's just not enough to go around. There's just not enough. The boat docks on the shore. The disciples' excitement has indeed died down by the time their boat arrives in that supposedly quiet place. And just as Jesus saw, they're feeling that exhaustion in their bones. And they feel the emptiness in their own hungry bellies. And seeing the crowds waiting for them, waiting for Jesus, they know what their teacher will do. They know that he will care for them. They know that he will teach them. And the disciples know this because it's one of the reasons they follow him. It's one of the reasons they love him. His unending compassion. And that's exactly what happens. Jesus, moved by compassion, teaches the people gathered around them, telling parables, telling stories, healing and helping. And the sun moves lower in the sky, and the day passes, and the disciples, with their own bellies growling, look around and know that they're not the only hungry ones. And they look around at where they are, <laughs> Solitary place, it's a remote place that was by design, and there ain't a whole lot of food to go around. Not everyone is getting fed. Not everyone's needs can be met. And so they come up with a solution, and it makes sense. Uh, Jesus, this is a pretty remote place. And we're not sure if you've noticed, it's getting late. So send the people away. Send them away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Everyone is hungry. Let them go eat. Let them take care of themselves. It's a reasonable solution, which makes Jesus' response seem so unreasonable. You give them something to eat. And now this all started with Jesus' invitation for them to go eat, for them to get a bite of dinner. And now these tired and hungry disciples are being asked, oh, just go feed the people. Feed a crowd when you don't have anything to eat yourselves. Plus, that takes on an extra layer of 
maybe frustration for the disciples because they just came from traveling where Jesus explicitly told them, don't take any bread, don't take any money, and they've come back, they still don't have bread and they still don't have money, and Jesus knows this, and now he's telling them, you know, feed everybody. And you can hear that in the question, even without adding tone (laughs) to it. The question just kind of leaps out of the text. That would take more than a half a year's wages, Jesus. Are we really to go and spend that much on bread just for one dinner? Subtext, we also don't have that money. Where is it coming from? And when Jesus tells them to go and find out how much bread they actually do have, I am pretty sure that the disciples' bellies were not the only things growing, growling, and grumbling as they went about their task. More than a little frustrated with their teacher, the disciples come back to him, and they report, we got five loaves of bread and two fish. All the disciples know is that it's not enough. They don't have enough to feed themselves. They certainly don't have enough to feed the crowd. They don't have enough to do what Jesus just asked them to do. There's simply not enough to go around. And now they're even more exhausted and more hungry than they were before. And especially frustrated because it seems that Jesus seems to have forgotten about caring for them. Taking what they have, taking the five loaves of bread, taking those two tiny fish, Jesus tells the 12 to have everyone take a seat, to sit them down on the green grass. And when they're seated, and Jesus is holding those five loaves and two fish, he looks out over the crowd, he looks out over his disciples, And he notices their hunger. He notices their need. And he looks up to heaven. He gives thanks to the Father. And he breaks the bread. And he tears it piece by piece by piece. And then he picks the meat off the bones of the fish piece by piece by piece. until all those in his presence, all those gathered around him, all those who were hungry, eat and are satisfied. And the 12, once very hungry, frustrated disciples, are each left standing with a basket full of leftovers. More than enough. More than was needed for everyone and for all. Mark is not a storyteller who likes to give us detail when we don't need it. 
He's a pretty succinct storyteller. And so in his telling of the story, it's, more, it's richer than Matthew's telling of the same story. But he gives us one tiny detail. And when Mark gives you a vibrant detail, you pay attention. And he says that everyone gathered was seated on the green grass. Where else in scripture are we given a picture of green grass and of needs met? What comes to mind? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. And he refreshes my soul. Jesus, the good shepherd, has more than enough care and compassion for the disciples, for the crowd gathered around him, for all of their hunger, for all of their exhaustion, for all of their needs. It's not a matter of one's needs trumping the others, of resentment and self-pity. It is a story, it's also not a story of escape from your needs or from others. It's a story of needs met, of more than enough. The beginning of the story gives us Jesus' words of care and invitation, words of compassion and gentleness to the disciples. But the whole story, the whole story gives us Jesus' actions of care and compassion and gentleness to all those who come to him. If we leave it just at the invitation at the beginning of the story, it's gonna be on us to find the rest, on us to come to Jesus. The rest of the story shows us the good shepherd reaching his people, meeting their needs, showing up and caring. Not because they are enough, not because they have enough, (laughs) but because he is enough. This time of year, as we are pressured to buy or download whatever gadgets or apps or practices promise to make us strong enough or fast enough or organized enough or allow us to work hard enough to satisfy our needs, may you hear the voice of Jesus inviting you to look to him speaking words of invitation and gentleness, of compassion and care. Come with me to a quiet place. Come with me to a quiet place and get some rest. Because these are the words of your shepherd who notices your hunger, who notices your exhaustion, who notices your needs, and looks on you with compassion, taking the little you have to offer and making it more than enough to satisfy. 
Thanks be to God. People, let us pray. Our good shepherd. We come before you in a time and a place in an ongoing season where it's so easy to tell a story of emptiness, of lack, of not enough. And you point us to your story, to who you are, that is more than enough for us. You are the one who satisfies. You are the one who cares. You are the one who meets our needs. So lead us, guide us, and help us to see all the ways in which you are already active and caring for us here and now, in our lives and the lives of those we love, because you are our good shepherd. And with you, there is more than enough. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.